Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. How many of you sometimes just feel like life just hits you all at once? Like just everything, all at one time? So, uh... We celebrate Justin. I, I, was trying to, I was trying to get him to share his big news a little sooner, but he's not even in the room right now with you guys. But uh, we're so excited, excited for him. And, um, you know, just, just in response to the, the board's announcement, um, ever since coming here, it's just, uh, just sensed something special about this place and what God's done here. And just happy to be a part of the story. Um, we'll continue to pray over you. I'm excited next Sunday night to share a little bit more about that and what it looks like uh, moving forward. That's number two. Number three, for us personally, we, you know, are eagerly awaiting baby number three in March. And... Uh, Yesterday, I spent some time with my grandma. Whoa. Soon enter her rest. And um, just sometimes life just happens all at once. It's like, how do you do that? And I had someone ask me a few months ago, like, hey, you, you lead worship, and you're just always, you know, do you ever just get up here and not feel like it? Anyways, trying to bottle all that up and compartmentalize it because I'm so excited for what I have to share for you today in the Word of God. But the reality is, um, it's important. The body of Christ is about being transparent. It's about doing life together. It's about showing up here and not just uh, not just saying good as your response to someone asking how stuff's going. And our motivation for asking someone how they're doing um, is different than just a quick passing comment. Because see, whatever I bring into here today, you all have stuff too, right? And so what it means to be in the body of Christ is, uh, is that we do life together. We do family together through the ups and downs. And it's good. Amen? It's good. All right, so if I spontaneously just whatever seem a little different than usual, I'm naturally a crier, so that doesn't help things, but we're going to do this, all right? So we're week nine, if you count our Advent series, of a 20-week or so walk through the Gospel of Luke, and really what we're doing here is we're we're kind of pulling passages out of, of, of the gospel, of just bringing kingdom elements into everyday life, what it looks like to, to walk with Christ, what it looks like to be a believer. And so we're in Luke 10 today, and I invite you to follow along either in your Bible app, uh, version Bible app, or, uh, or in your 
physical Bible. Um, I just want to thank Dick and the Gideons for the work that they do. I think in the American culture, it's really easy to treat Bibles as accessories and heirlooms and not actually a living word. And um, people around the world that they have been able to put uh, the word of God into the hands of, of, of people who are just hungry for hope, hungry for truth, is a, is a powerful thing. And so we open the scriptures today. And we're in Luke 10. I'll just read this and then we'll pray. Verse 25, it says a lawyer, this would be a scribe or uh, a religious scholar, stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, As it, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus, we find the good Samaritan. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down to Jerus- from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his, on his own beast as a donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will return and pay it to you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers' hands? And he said to him, the scribe said to him, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. I need you today. Lord, I thank you for your word, your word that teaches us, that corrects us, that disciplines us, that brings life, shows grace and compassion. And as we open it today, as we sit in this passage, Lord, we pray, Lord, I pray that the meditations, my heart, the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, God, our Redeemer. Be our strength today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so our text begins today with a question. The question is, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a great question. I love asking questions. How many of you love asking questions? 
I've learned that some people, it frustrates them when, when others ask questions. It's like, just do the things. Like, you don't have to explain. But for me, I love to understand the why. I love to understand the heart behind it. Why are we doing what we do? And is it the best way to do it? And Jesus had this way throughout his ministry of asking good questions. Sometimes they would diffuse a situation. Sometimes it would get to the deeper meaning of the truth of, of what the motivation was behind the person asking the question. So for me, asking questions and, and pondering possibilities gives me great joy. And, and it's one of the things that I've learned, the keys to ministry, I think, is being able to ask good questions when you're meeting with someone, asking the right question to kind of guide the thought, guide the the. Um, the teaching element maybe that you might want to share, but also getting to the heart of the matter. But see, asking questions isn't just a, a biblical thing, right? We do this all over the place. We ask questions about, is there a better way to do something? Is there a more comfortable way to sit down than just on a bench? Yeah, padded seats. Is How do we illuminate a closed space? Uh, we bring light into it. And so all these questions then lead to, answers which leads to innovation and so there's a reason for asking questions and it's important to ask questions and so here in our passage today we have three questions that are asked in the first two verses of this and so this excites me because we know that there's going to be this dialogue this interchange and we're going to get to to a a place of truth And so he asks, right, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And how does Jesus respond? He responds by asking him another que- a question himself, right? What's written in the law and how do you interpret it? You see, the scribe rightly responds by quoting portions of the Torah that would, uh, he, he rightly answers this. Where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great, good job, do this, you'll live. Um, that was the end of it, but it wasn't. Because the, the man was not satisfied with that answer. And so he, wanting to justify himself, wanting to vindicate himself, wanting to know that he's doing what, he, what, the, what the scriptures ask of him, he asks another question. What must I do? To inherit eternal life. What, who is my neighbor? Is the next question that he asks. And I can imagine Jesus half smiling because, again, we're getting closer to the meat of it. We're getting closer to the heart of it, right? So, wore my shirt because this is what we're talking about today. Loving God, loving people, loving our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Okay, if, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, who is that? And so Jesus brings him in a little bit more. Instead of responding with another question, he uses an illustration, he uses a story. And this, so this is where we find the Good Samaritan. Where he proceeds to tell this man of, uh, about someone who was badly beaten. And I just want to, I think context matters. And, and so for, for this parable, this would be classified as like a, a narrative parable where there's a plot, there's something going on, there's characters, stuff's moving. And so, it's, so we, we want to kind of understand kind of the totality of it. We don't want to just have this like reader's based interpretation of, of scripture. Like let's 
try to understand the context around it and um, kind of maybe put aside our, maybe our 21st century idea of what, what, the, what he might be sharing, and let's just give some context to this. And so, so we have this setting, right? And so it's, it's in a place on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, this road was treacherous. This road, over the course of the 15 miles or so, 14 to 17, no one knows for sure, you read different things, but what it was is uh, you, essentially a 3,600-foot uh, decline or incline, whichever way you're going, right? Uh, so it was a treacherous road uh, through hills, through mountains, and, and so uh, it was a difficult road, and it was not to be taken on your own. And this, this road was notorious for, uh, for robbers and for people to be uh, uh, beaten and stolen from. And so really quickly, uh, Jesus sets the stage for an encounter um, that happened in this place. And so our parable today consists of six characters. We've got the robber, right? They're, they're in and out before the parable begins. They're kind of... Uh, really setting, that, setting this, the, the stage in which the play, parable gets played out. Uh, we have the man that is beaten, that was robbed. Uh, he is not this active participant in the parable either. He is the, the subject, if you will. He is the, um, he, he, he's the one who, who needs help. Uh, he's just kind of part of the story, a passive part of the story. And then we come to our first active participant, and this is the priest. And so he is the one who is coming from Jerusalem and uh, most likely coming from either his time served at the temple or on his way to to do something. And so uh, he would have gone through a cleansing process and uh, would want to to remain uh, ritually clean, right? And so... um, so he, so he comes across the, the, the man beaten on the side of the road, and, and um, he, couldn't, he couldn't necessarily approach the man because of, uh, for fear of becoming unclean. And, and, and so you, you start to understand Levitical law, and you start to understand maybe Leviticus 21 and, and touching someone with, um, who, who might be dead or who, who might be badly uh, beaten and, and encountering blood and what that did to their ability to offer sacrifices to God and to, to lead the people. And so I think it's really easy in this story to, to villainize uh, both the priest and the Levite, but, but what was happening here is they were just doing what they were commanded to do. You see, all the while, we need to understand Jesus' motivation here on um, what his life came to do was to usher a new kingdom, right? So, he's, so he's, he's acknowledging their role. He's acknowledging what they did, and it wouldn't have been uh, a surprise for them that, that the priests would have passed on by. The same with the Levi, the temple helpers. They, uh, they, would, they would probably have passed on by too, showing pity for them, but not actually engaging in the mess of the circumstance because of, because of uh, their role as outlined in the law. And so we have kind of these these things happening in it. And, and so the first two, you know, we get into, and then, and then we, we approach the third one. And again, the question is, who is my neighbor? That's what we're asking here today. 
And so the, the, the third active participant, our fifth character in story, this parable, is the Samaritan. Now, he, he, he probably could have said an uh, in, in ordinary Jew, but, but again, he's on, he, he wants to totally break down everything that they understand to be neighbors. And, and, and in that culture, they wanted to... Um, a lot of times the, the, the scribe would have thought of his neighbor as um, another purebred Jew. That was, that was my neighbor. And so what Jesus is doing here is to, to again, add, add to effect is he brings in the Samaritan. Now, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Um, they have a similar lineage. Uh, if you want to read through First Kings and and. We see Assyria that uh, takes Israel into captivity, and this is where um, this is where really the fissure uh, began with the Samaritans and the, and, and the Jews, and and so um, during this captivity, uh, intermarriages were happening and mixed marriages, and so you had these full-blooded uh, Jews that detested the mixed marriages and worships of the Samaritans, and walls of bitterness were put up over the centuries, over the next. 550 years or so on both sides and there was this hatred between them and so for them to think of of a a jew uh, or a samaritan as my neighbor as someone that i should care for um would have really taken the listener back as jesus is 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 sharing and so then we get to the innkeeper all the way at the end right and so the innkeeper we don't know much about the innkeeper other than that he he trusted the Samaritan and that the, we, he trusted that the Samaritan would come back and that he would settle up the wages because, again, the Samaritan took um, this, this badly beaten person to an inn. He said, here, here's some money in advance to help, um, to help you uh, pay, for, for, pay for his wages and then whatever, or pay for his, his, his keeping and then I'll come back and, and settle up. And so does it help to understand a little bit of the context of, of, of what's happening, what's taking place here, not necessarily how we might think of it in, our, in, in the 21st century that we live in, but what, it, what would have been happening back then? So we have the six characters in this parable. And again, the question is, who is my neighbor? Who is the one that shows how to be a neighbor? So I want to reread this quickly for you. Man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We understand the context of, of that. He encounters robbers. Horrible, treacherous road. Why would you even walk by yourself and, and travel by yourself? Um, they stripped him. They beat him. Went away leaving him half dead. By coincidence, a priest was going down, down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Wanted to stay pure. Likewise, a Levite also. When he came to the place, he saw and passed by on the other side, wanting to stay pure. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil on them and wine on them and um, trying to disinfect, right? He put him on his own uh, animal and brought him to an inn where they took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, to take care of him. Whenever more you spend, I will return, I will pay it to you. 
And Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Who proved it? To which the scribe rightly responded, the one who showed compassion to him. The one who showed compassion proved to be the neighbor. Love God, love people. Love God, love your neighbor. These are the two commands that Jesus gives us. This is what it looks like lived out. And so when we boil it down, we see that neighboring is showing compassion. This runs in, in contrast to how we see it in our in American culture, right? We, we know, uh, we, we hear phrases like, good fences make good neighbors, and, you know, you mind your business, I mind mine, and don't bug me, and I won't bug you. That's the American spirit, right? Sure not the kingdom spirit. <laughs> sure not the kingdom spirit. And so I like to define compassion this way. Compassion, which is the essence of being a neighbor, showing compassion. Compassion involves pity or empathy turned to action. When we see a need, we don't only just have pity towards it, but we are moved to action. We are moved to, to do something with it. Jesus calls that neighboring. That's what neighboring means. And so how do we show compassion then? We know that the gospel is highly practical, right? It's not just this mental ascent into correct doctrine and knowing the creeds and whatever, but it's like, if you believe this stuff, then it changes everything. And so there's two observations I want to share with you this morning that we gather from here. Number one is that we show compassion to those who are different from us, not just those who look like us. So we are called to show compassion to those who look like us, but also what he's sharing here is that we show compassion to those who are different from us. This is one of the heart matters that Jesus was getting to with the, with, with the, uh, with the scholar here, the religious scholar, the scribe. And so Jesus asks the question a slightly different way, not who is my neighbor, but... Who is the one that showed mercy? That is the one who is your neighbor. The one who shows mercy is a neighbor. I want to read a passage this morning before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of what it looks like. But I was just, the Lord impressed upon me that scripture in, in Matthew 25 where Jesus is, is sharing about judgment and about kingdom living. Twenty five thirty four it says when the king or then the king will say to those on his 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 right, he's separating wheat from the chaff, right? Uh, the king will say to those on his his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did you, when we see you sick and in, or, or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer to you, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it to me. To me, this is an explanation of compassion, of neighboring, of what it looks like to love people. James 1, 22 reminds us, right, that, that we, are call, we are called to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. And then in the end, we'll be judged by not the creed we hold, but the life that we live. The professing in Christ leads to life transformation. That's what it's all about. And when we do that, everything changes. So this is heavy stuff today. This is, this is a lot because it demands something. As it calls us to something. So you say, okay, if I, pray for, sorry, if I start praying for eyes to see, I start to see that the need is great. And where do I even start? Where do I even begin? I think my hope for you today with this parable is that you would leave here with eyes of compassion, that you would see the least of these, you see every person as Christ does. That you will love them as Christ does. And that when the Spirit prompts you to be moved with compassion, to be moved by action, that we say yes. That's what it means by saying yes to, to Christ before we know what he's asking. And so in Jesus' own words, these are the acts of compassion, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. Acts of compassion are responding to those needs, not just feeling bad for it, but responding. That's what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ. And these acts of compassion start by making ourselves, we, we begin by first seeing Asking God to show us. And then making yourself available to them. Making yourself uh, available to be interrupted. To be moved with compassion. You see the, the Samaritan, he was on his way to do something. He probably didn't want to spend any more time on that road longer than he had to. He was on his way somewhere, probably doing it quickly. And he saw something aside He was prompted to respond, to be interrupted. And so I just want to share with you some practical ways and just make you aware of some things that happen around here, that happen globally, of things that we're doing, of things that, that you can become a part of as you pray. Because, because it's hard to do anything about it if you're not made aware of it. But now that I make you aware of it, now, that, now 
it's on you, right? And, and it's the, the spirit prompting and moving you. Acts of compassion, what do they look like? This past Sunday, we were able to serve a family who had lost a loved one because some of you said yes to providing meals when that opportunity comes, to providing a, a side dish. And because you were willing to be inconvenienced on your Sunday afternoon and bring it in on a Monday morning, that act of compassion provided food around the table for people to share, to remember the life of a loved one. That's what some of you did. Meal trains for families who have surgery. This is why life groups are so important, right? Because life groups give us an opportunity to provide acts of compassion, to come alongside, yes, and pray, but also to provide meals for others, to, to, to take that burden, to simply give them food. Our summer meal program during, during COVID, when kids were at home and they weren't able to get out, and you responded, some of you came in and prepared them. Some of you wrote the check to provide the means. Some of you delivered these meals. So we were able to give six breakfasts, six lunches a week because of that act of compassion. A few weeks ago, we brought membership, members up here, and I talked to you about what it looks like. For, we are missional people. We are moved by acts of compassion. Missions are acts of compassion. And so globally, what we've done in the Church of the Nazarene, and we've come alongside the Ukraine crisis, we've responded to refugees, we've responded to earthquakes, the, the money that we send out um, is, is given to people who are mobilized and ready to go, and we give them the means to go into a situation to provide acts of compassion to people. Clean water initiatives. I don't even know the ridiculous percentage of people that don't have access to clean water. We've got to grow our church. Who is crazy smart, using her mind, working with an organization, going to Africa. Creating wells, sustainable wells for fresh water for people as an act of compassion. Called and she responded. She said yes. Acts of compassion. To the stranger. When were you a stranger, Jesus? We welcomed you in. We've got families in our church. Foster families. Who have entered in to someone else's mess to be a safe place, to be a place of restoration. We have families that come alongside those foster families to encourage them to come alongside them. To the stranger. To the naked. We have programs all over this county, all over the world that seek to, uh, or crisis care kits. I'm not, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of those. We, take, we bring those in. Those are basic hygiene packets that we send out wherever there's, a, wherever there's an emergency or a disaster. 
We come alongside people. We give them the basic necessities. Appalachia Reach Out, Dwayne was here. He's part of that. He's, he's part of, of doing that in, in Kentucky and in West Virginia. Boots and coats for kids around Northwest Ohio. Equipping them, clothing them. To the sick and the imprisoned. It's pastoral care. This is care ministry. We have a care ministry that meets twice a month. They write cards, they go and visit with shut ins. Being Christ to someone, sharing the love. I mean, even hospitals were an invention of the church. Pagans had the medicine. We had the charity. We had the compassion, bringing people together. That's why you get St. Rita, St. Luke, St. V's, St. whatever. This was the church responding in compassion to people who are sick. We have a few questions today. Might go a little bit over. Sorry. Do you have compassion for people who look differently than you? We have teams preparing to be sent. They've been moved by the Spirit to go to the DR or to go to ARO or to move into a, 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 someone's life to, uh, to impact it, to, yes, share the gospel, but also meet basic needs, acts of compassion. Compassion for the least of these. But I also want to back up and I want to ask, do you have compassion for those who look the same as you? Or do you become frustrated and, and chastise those who don't have the same convictions as you? I've lived in this place before because I've been so moved by acts of compassion that I become frustrated with the same person who has a 40-hour-a-week job as me and, um, and, and same socioeconomic status. It's like, why are you not moved? But again, who is my neighbor? And it's all about my heart posture. And if I'm frustrated with those people... My heart is collateral damage in that. Love God, love people. The ones who look like us, the ones who don't look like us. Do we have time for acts of compassion? Have we made time for acts of compassion? Have we made time for holy disruptions? Being a, being a neighbor is inconvenient, right? It's slow going. It's not efficient. It, it, uh, it's counterintuitive. We're, um, we're on to our next thing all the time. Sometimes we don't have time for it. Until you realize that that is the greater work. That is the greater thing. Are we looking for acts of compassion? I think one of the reasons why we don't necessarily see them is because we're consumed with all of our other stuff. We're not prepared for a holy disruption. Because how do we see, how can we be moved with compassion if we're not paying attention? 
We're so absorbed in all of the other things and all the electives of life that we're not paying attention. Quick, uh, quick technology stats here. Americans on average, 30 hours of TV a week. 2023 study from uh, Smart Insights shows us 59% of the world's population is on social media with an average of two and a half hours a day. Per day average. This is how we spend our time. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably not on there looking for ways to show acts of compassion and to be moved. Sometimes we find those along the way to God be the glory. We're just numbing our minds, vegging out. The average iPhone user, over 2,600 touches per day. Two and a half hours per day, over 76 sessions. What do you think is forming us right now? What do you think forms our minds? Where are we spending the most of our time? You are what you eat, right? You hear that. You're the product of your environment. So you see, this new social construct that Jesus is trying to institute requires us to not only see the need, but to be terribly inconvenienced for that so that we can show the love of Christ, the light of Christ, and bring the gospel. And then after a while, you begin to see that the thing that, that you gave up, if you give up technology, if you give up all of these things, so to better consecrate yourself, you start to see that this is the richness of life. This is the truest meaning of life. I think we would solve a lot of mental health issues in our world today if we turn the crap off. We started consecrating ourselves to something else. Last point I want to bring up, we're going to come to the table today. We show compassion to those who bring it upon themselves. This is the glaring thing about it, the passage for me. If you were a first century parable healer, he, uh, band can come up, you guys can come up. First century, listening to this, you, you, could, have, uh, you could have thought, well, he got, he got what he had coming to him. What was he doing? Thinking, what was he doing on that road? What was he doing? What a foolish person to travel down that road on their own. They made their bed, they can lay in it. Natural selection, right? The hearer wouldn't have been wrong. It would have been a stupid thing to travel on your own. But the parable isn't about the person that made the bad choice. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's about the heart posture of the one who came by and how they responded. I think for me, over the years, it's been hard to show love to people who I feel like have just made their own bed time and time and time again. It's frustrating. It's like, come on. And I think about what Christ did for me, which leads us to the table. You see, I've made a mess of my life more times than I could ever imagine. 
I think back to the cross. I think back to what Christ did for me. The lashings he took on my behalf. His posture wasn't as you deserved it. You get what you had coming. Everyone he took, he took with compassion. He wasn't frustrated. He took it with love. He took it with grace. So that we could experience freedom. Because without him, we're dead on the side of the road. But Christ came while we are still sinners, died for us. So my question to you, my prayer for you is that you would leave cleansed, purified, with eyes of compassion. Would you stand this morning? This is an old prayer of the church that I want us to pray. sets the tone for us to come to the table. I want to confess this together today because the table is for the repentant heart, one who confesses, but who knows but Christ. While I was getting what I deserved, came and died for me. say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, Have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 1030 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.